You are listening to the Passion City Church Podcast. To learn more about Passion City Church, including our gathering times in Atlanta and Washington, D.C., visit us online at passioncitychurch.com. Today's talk comes from Pastor Louis Giglio. So it's the new year. At the beginning of every year, we take stock, don't we? And we take stock of our lives and we ask questions like, am I on the right track? Does my life matter? Another year has gone by. Before we know it, another year will have gone by and then another year will have gone by. And we ask ourselves the questions at the beginning of the year that we're not really that focused on in the middle of the summer, maybe not so much in October as the year's sort of winding to a close. But at the beginning of the year, we ask questions like this, am I doing the right thing with my life? Does my life matter? Am I making a difference on earth? Is my life important? And as we ask those questions today, we're coming to the right place because God wants to respond to the biggest questions that we have in our lives today, and he wants to answer them for us. I saw, again, this poem, The Summer Day by Mary Oliver. Any poets in the house, any poetry people in the house know Mary Oliver? Awesome. That's what I thought. Um, So maybe you don't know uh, the summer day, so I just wanted to bring the last line to us today because I think it's a great mindset for us going into the new year. The poem ends like this. Tell me, what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? What is it that you plan to do with your one Wild and precious life. You're one shot at being alive. What do you plan to do with that life? And if you're in that mindset today, if you're in that mindset starting this new year, am I doing the right thing? Am I making a difference? Then you've come to the right place today. In the old days, we used to frame it around this question, am I in God's will? In fact, uh, when we were doing early college ministry 30 years ago, if you wanted to pack the place out, either do a series on relationships or a series on finding God's will for your life. Because who could ever know if we're doing the very thing God wants us to be doing with our lives? And then we complicated it even more. It wasn't just enough that you were in God's will. You had to find the, any old school church people know where I'm going here, you had to find the center of God's will. So you had to get into the bullseye of knowing I am doing exactly what God wants me to do with my life. And and for a lot of us growing up, it was a little bit like trying to find a needle in a, a bale of hay. It was a little complex to believe that I can really know what God wants me to do and know that the thing I'm giving my life for is God's will for me. But here's how beautiful God is. He doesn't want to leave us in the dark. He doesn't want to leave you combing through a haystack trying to find something for your life. Every one of us, this is how good God is, every single one of us is going to be able to leave this gathering today having answered the question, what is God's will for my life. 
Because God isn't playing games with you. God isn't playing games with me. God isn't wanting you to live your whole life in limbo, not being sure about what it is he wants you to do. So to find the answer to this question, I want us to look at the book of Colossians. And this little letter of Colossians is going to give us a biblical answer to the question, what is God's will for my life? Colossians was written in a context where there was a lot of different opinions about who Jesus was. Some people thought he was just a souped up angel. Other people thought that only a select number of highly mystical people would ever figure out what was going on with Jesus and in the kingdom of God. And Paul writes to clarify who Jesus is, to, to let us see and know that Jesus is supreme in everything and sufficient for everyone. And we get this really boiled down in chapter 1, beginning in verse 15, about Jesus, it says. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for by Jesus all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by Jesus and for Jesus. Jesus is before all things, and in Jesus all things hold together. Jesus is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything, can you say everything with me? That in everything Jesus might have the supremacy. So as we underscore the sufficiency and supremacy of Jesus, we answer the biggest question we're asking in life, which is what is my purpose and why am I here and what is my life about? We see two things in this text that clarify this for us and give us confidence. The first thing we see is that we are here because Jesus made us and we are here for Jesus. So the first thing we see today is that we weren't created to do a job. We weren't created for a vocation or a role. Primarily, we were created for a person, created by a person for a person, created by Jesus for Jesus, created to be in a relationship where we know God. But then at the end of the text, we see that Jesus is the beginning of everything, the creator of everything, the sustainer of everything. He holds together everything. The first one out of the grave was Jesus. The one who gives life to everyone else who trusts him is Jesus. The head of this church is Jesus. And in every single thing, Jesus then should get the supremacy. He should get all the applause. He should get the encore, a way we say it around churches. He should get all the glory. And so that answers for me the big question of my life. What is God's will for my life? You could say it like this. It is to know him and to make him known. That's God's will for your life. To know Jesus and to make Jesus known. To understand that you were made by and for him so that you pursue him as a singular focus of life. I want to know Jesus. Whatever else happens on this planet with me, I want to know the one who made me to know him. And secondly, 
He's got to get to supremacy in everything, this Jesus, because he is everything. So in knowing him, I want my life to make him known. And that simplifies for all of us today God's will for our lives. Now you're like, Louis, that's a spiritual answer, and I don't want a spiritual answer. I want to know if I'm working at the right job or not. I want to know if I'm supposed to marry her or wait for another. I need to know if I'm supposed to go to grad school in Nebraska or to go to grad school in Alabama. That's what I'm concerned about today. Don't give me all this spiritual mumbo-jumbo about God's will for my life, being knowing Jesus and making Jesus known. Okay, great. Then um, what if God just sent you a letter today and said, go to the one in Nebraska then? Bye. <laughs> Go Cornhuskers. <laughs> See ya. Is that all you needed? Awesome. Hope it's great. And then you go there to Nebraska, and you get your degree, your graduate degree, and you frame your diploma and get that job and find the guy and build your life and you still have no idea why you're here. See, it's not about an assignment. It's about a big picture of life. And for us, when we hear God's will, we immediately wanna connect that to vocation, connect that to location. Connect that to relationship. Connect that to husband, wife, kids. Now, this season, next season, we immediately hear God's will and want to link it to a specific temporal, temporary decision. But God is saying you were created for something bigger than just knowing which grad school to go to. You were created to know God and to make God known, to know Jesus and through your life, give an encore for Jesus. Through your life, bring applause to Jesus. Through your life, bring glory to Jesus. And this is God's will for our life. But if you're asking what, like what do I do to bring glory to God? Or how then do I make decisions to bring glory to God? He'll answer that for us also today. And he does it one page over, Colossians chapter 3. Verse 17, the message, I wish I had heard when I was 15 years old. Because Paul is opening a wide array of possibilities today to every one of us to live in God's will. Because when you hear, well, I'm supposed to know him and to make him known, then you might think, well, does that mean I should become a pastor then? Or should I get into church work? Or should I get into Christian ministry? Or maybe I should get out of my secular job and get into social work or get into the nonprofit space. How do I know Jesus and make Jesus known? And so he answers for us in verse 17. And whatever you do. Hello. Get ready because this is game-changing. Let's just read those four words together out loud. And, and you read them the way I'm reading them. That will sound even better. And whatever you do. That seems like he's opening a big doorway here. Let's see how he clarifies this for us. 
And whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do, in word or in deed, that's pretty comprehensive. Do it all more comprehensive in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Paul is shifting the conversation from what should I do to why do I do what I do? So that the what I do isn't under the microscope. The why I do what I do is under the microscope. Because he's opening a big doorway here and he's saying your purpose in life is to know God and make him known. But you are wired with many gifts, abilities, talents, aptitudes, and passions. Just go do that. But make sure that as you do that, you're doing it underneath this grand purpose that God has put in your life. So I have the ability now to reframe life or to frame life under this big calling, this big purpose to know him and make him known. We see this in Romans chapter 11 at the end of a stunning text about God's mercy and grace. There's a little doxology and we see it in verse 33. It says, oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? All these are rhetorical questions. No one in heaven's waiting for an answer to these questions. It's God again saying, look, I don't call anybody. I, I don't get stressed. I don't have a counselor. I don't lay on anyone's sofa. I've never run out of money and needed a bridge loan to Thursday. I'm, I'm good. And if that's who he is in reality, he knows everything, doesn't need any advice, doesn't need any help, no one has ever loaned him a dime, then here comes the end of the doxology. For from God and through God and to God are all things to him be the glory forever. Amen. In other words, putting it down to a personal level, I came from God. I didn't just pop on the scene and go, voila, everybody, look at me. I am created. I'm also sustained. I am happening today through God. The breath that I'm breathing is a gift from a creator God. The brain that I'm using right now was given to me as a gift of the creator God. The grace that is enabling me to do what I'm doing right now is provided for me by the spirit in Christ. So I am moving through life by God. I came into life by God and I end my life and terminate at God. I don't just end up somewhere out in the great wherever. I end up at the same place I began. I came from God. I'm sustained by God. I end with God. Therefore, let all the applause go to God. Let all of the encores go to God. Let all of the attention go to God. Let all of the glory go to God. 
I've got a purpose, and my purpose is to know him and make him known. That's the A. But I also have a passion, and so do you. I've got something churning inside of me, and so do you. And Paul is saying, if you get the frame right, then God wants to release you to go do that thing that you are really passionate about doing. And that's how you answer the question, what is God's will for my life? This talk started at Passion 2006 in Nashville, Tennessee. Anybody? Passion 2006, Nashville, Tennessee. One, thank you. Amazing. The fruit of passion, stunning. Two, the ripple effects will knock you over. And the talk was called Passion, Purpose, and Designer Jeans. Does anybody remember when jeans became a thing? Uh, maybe about 15 years ago, we kind of started tipping over from it's either Levi's or Calvin Klein. Anybody remember those days? That's, that was kind of your options. You're like, no, we were just at Old Navy. Okay, throw them in there. Old Navy, Levi's, Calvin Klein. If you were a Texan or some, you know, Nebraska, maybe Wranglers. But that was kind of gene world. It wasn't really overcomplicated. And then all of a sudden it got real complicated. Like you can't just get Levi's or Calvin Klein jeans. You got to pay $200 for raw denim. And then you have to pay $500 to get the seat in your car replaced because you're going to get blue ink all over your upholstery. Does anybody remember living through those days? And raw denim's coming back, which is amazing. Just don't come to our house in raw denim. Thank you. <laughs> and all of a sudden, diesel jeans hit the scene. Anybody? Hello? No? Great. Still in Levi's and Calvin Klein. Um, AG jeans hit the scene. Anybody remember? Seven jeans hit the scene. Citizens of Humanity hit the scene. Joe's jeans. Joe's jeans hit the scene. Um, what am I missing here? <laughs> nudie jeans. Anybody remember nudie jeans? Save up, bro. I mean, save your nickels, but you can wear them for a whole year without washing them. That was reality and true. I did that. I know, but so did you. They convinced us they're better if you don't wash them. Fold them and put them in the freezer. We were folding and putting our jeans in a freezer. It was an explosion of denim everywhere in 2006, Nashville, Tennessee. And so the, the message was called Passion, Purpose, and Designer Jeans because my question was, who's going to make the jeans? If the whole world wants them, then who's going to make them? And could you run a, a denim boutique and still be in God's will? Surely not. I mean, surely you got to be planting a church to be in the will of God. You cannot have a boutique and be in the will of God. But now nobody's that concerned about denim anymore. And so, I don't know, the message could be called a lot of different things now. I, I would probably call it Passion, Purpose, and Chelsea Boots. A lot of you looked at my shoes just then, which was weird, and they're not Chelsea boots, which is also weird, but that would have been too weird to say that and have Chelsea boots on. But I've gotten a few pair in the last two years from uh, sort of like we started in our basement. We're making these ourselves. We're sourcing the leather um, out of Argentina. It's a, it's a cause behind every pair of boots, and uh, so you're wearing something that looks good and helps somebody else, and all of a sudden it was like everybody's got their little niche thing, and it changes from season to season to season. But the, the, the big point of it is this. Is it possible 
that you could have a passion for something like fashion and still fulfill your purpose for being on the planet? And the answer is absolutely. Because Paul opens this wide door that says, whatever you do, do it all. In the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, we're going to talk more about this specifically, how that happens next week, because we're not really looking for people to do Chelsea boots with a little fish in, embossed on the bottom of the sole. So as you're walking on a rainy day, you're leaving a little symbol of the gospel everywhere, you know, down the sidewalk. But people are like, man, these are the most uncomfortable boots I've ever worn, but I'm going to keep wearing them because I'm telling people about Jesus, you know. Awesome. I'm going to have to have, you know, surgery on my toe next year. No, that, that's not how it works. We're not looking for more uh, little symbols on things. We're looking for people who have a, a big frame, who understand that it's not about what I do as much as it is about why I do what I do. And so I'm going to run with this passion that is in my heart to the glory of God. Because a lot of you, truth be told, you've got a lot of passion rolling inside of you. And it's not to be a pastor, to be a preacher, to be a worship leader. It's to build a rocket or to come up with a cure for something or to raise a family or to run a plumbing business or whatever it is that is firing you up right now. And God's saying, whatever, whatever you do, go for it. As long as you a, get the purpose right and reframe with the purpose, then God wants to release you to run after the passion that he's put in your heart. I love the way one of my spiritual mentors says it, A.W. Tozer, because he's answering the question, can it matter if I open a calligraphy or a handwriting business? So send me your invitations, and I'm going to handwrite them better than anybody's ever handwritten them before. Send me your Christmas wrapping, and I'm going to handwrite every label for your family members and friends more amazingly than anybody ever has. If it's an organic smoothie business, can God use that for his glory? And A.W. Tozer answers the question, I think, in a beautiful way. He said, it's not what a man does that determines whether his work is sacred or secular. It's why he does it. The motive is everything. Let a man sanctify, or a woman, the Lord God in his heart, and he can thereafter do no common act. That means that you can walk into finance, into education, into entertainment, into the arts, into any form of business, any form of enterprise, and you can, in fact, do an uncommon, supernatural, God-honoring thing with your life. And the beauty and the reality of it all is, is that a pastor is probably not coming to your company this year. Hi, everyone. Today on Thursday, we're having a pastor come and glorify God. Please be in the lobby at 2.30. <laughs> pastor probably not coming to your classroom, not coming to your place of business, but you are going into your classroom and you are going into your place of business. You are going into all the seams of culture with a purpose in your heart. I want to know Jesus and I want to make 
Jesus known. And that's the beauty of how God wants to work in our lives. Now, this Colossians 3, 17 opens a big door, but it also closes a lot of doors too. Because it says, whatever, that's, that's wide. But it also says, whatever you do, do it in the name of the Lord. And some of us, it's maybe what we're doing that we can't do in the name of the Lord. I mean, if you're money laundering right now and you're really good at it and you really have a passion for it, you're going to need to stop doing that this year. Because you can't say, in Jesus' name. If you're cooking the books and you're phenomenal at it, in fact, you've been doing it 19 years and even the auditors don't know you're doing it, you're going to need to stop cooking the books this year. Because you can't cook the books in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So it is a wide door, but it also is an eliminating pathway. But if you can do it in the name of the Lord, then you have to decide, I want to figure out, then how am I going to do it in such a way that God gets the applause, that God gets the encore, that God gets the glory in my life. And that's what we're going to specifically look at next week. But before we do that, I want to ask the question, how do you know which passion is the passion you're supposed to, to run after? And I think there are a few super practical ways to come at this. And the first one is this. It's by asking the question, what keeps you up at night and what wakes you up in the morning? Like, have you noticed that there's some things when that's on the schedule that day, you have a hard time and you're hitting the snooze three or four times, but there are other things that are on the agenda and on that day you go like, bing, I'm up, done, ready to go, let's go, excited. And sometimes when you're laying down at night, things just churn inside of you and you can't, you can't dial it down. You're just excited about what you're thinking about, dreaming about. Well, that's a first clue to maybe what it is that you need to be doing on the passion side of life under the purpose of knowing God and making him known. Howard Thurman said it like this. He said, don't ask what the world needs. Ask what makes you come alive and go do it. Because what the world needs is people who have come alive. So it's asking the question, what, what's stirring in me? And understanding from Colossians 3.17 that it's okay for me to say that. Because I, I think, you know, if you're in your small group and you're just talking about what do you think God wants to do with your life? I'm going to be a missionary in the Congo. Wow, okay, praise God. That's big. Next first round, I'm going to open a, a, a homeless shelter for the disadvantaged in our city. Amazing. Next first round, I'm going to start a nonprofit. And we're going to, you know, bring clean resources to people around the world. And it's getting around to you and you're thinking, man, all I really want to do is be a bond trader. That's all I've ever dreamed about. I was trading bonds in my mind when I was 14 years old. I already understood how the bond markets work. And I just want to make it to Wall Street. And so it gets around to you, preacher, teacher, helper, do-gooder. And it gets around to you and you're like, <clears throat> I haven't decided yet, still praying about it. Pray for me. Just trying to find the center of God's will for my life. <laughs> and I just want to tell you, if, if, if bond trading keeps you up at night, 
and wakes you up in the morning, then maybe you need to be a bond trader to the glory of God. And you need to say what we said at 2006. Somebody going to Ghana, that is a big deal to be celebrated. The church should get behind it and resource it. But maybe for you, it's just as big a deal to go to Goldman Sachs as it is to go to Ghana. Because both places need the light and the truth of Jesus shine to real people who have a big purpose over their lives. And this is the starting point possibly for you. Second thing is to ask the question, what are you best at? In other words, maybe you're not a child prodigy at it, but you notice that over time you're incrementally getting better at it. And, and every time you get a chance, you grow and you learn and you develop. And from here to here, there's definitely a track up in your life and you're getting better and better and better and better. It's not just that you're, you know, okay at it. Everybody wants to have their own uh, uh, network cooking show and maybe that's what you were dreaming of when you were chopping up all of your stuff in the kitchen you're talking into the camera and now we're going to chop up the celery and we're going to make a roux and it's going to be amazing I don't even know if celery goes in a roux but it probably could <laughs> but when you do it it's phenomenal and in your mind you're thinking I'm really good at this and every time I try it differently, it just keeps getting incrementally better and better and better. That is a big clue to maybe what lane you need to be running in in your life. I think a third way you understand this passion is that in the community of people who are God-loving people and who love you, you just listen to what people are affirming in your life. So what are the people around you affirming? I, I believe God will put people in your life. If you really want to know, am I on the right track? Am I really doing the right thing? I have a purpose, but I'm not sure about the passion side of it. He's going to put people in your path. He may have done that in 2018. Somebody may have said to you last year, hey, have you ever thought about doing X? Anybody say that to you last year? Have you ever thought about maybe opening a Y? Have you ever thought about going into that full time? Have you ever thought that maybe that's something you should look into? And we're like, oh, no, I shouldn't look into that. I mean, I'm, I'm good. I got a job. I got a paycheck coming. I don't know. I'm 41 years old. How would I start all over again? I don't know. I, I don't know if you can even do that to the glory of God. I'm just going to stay in the lane I'm in right now. You kind of know what's going on and know what's expected. And you just pushed it off. But people were telling you, hey, you're really good at this. I mean, for me, when I was in high school, people were telling me, hey, you're a really good speaker. I mean, I don't know if they were saying really good, but they were saying, hey, you should talk. Somebody's going to talk, you talk. Somebody's got to talk, get Giglio, get him to talk. He, he can talk. Put him in front of the whole student body in high school. He's the guy. Put him up there. Going to go on a mission trip, get Andy and get Louie, and they'll do the messages because they're the ones that can talk. We weren't going, hey, we're preachers of a next generation, man. Put us in. We were like probably up to some kind of mischief in the back. <laughs> but it was get Louie, get Andy. They can talk good. I mean, I overslept the morning that we were giving our speeches for president of my senior class. And not that I had a big speech planned anyway, but if I had, I overslept. And I woke up to my friend's car horn blaring in my bedroom window. We lived in an apartment, so he could park literally eight feet from my window. So I'm not 
exaggerating. I wake up, look at the time, I'm like, whoa, we got to be at school like 15 minutes ago. It's speech morning. Elections are today. We jump in the car. We race down to Campbell High School, roll right into the library, and now our next candidate is Louis Giglio. And I come right into the deal. Hi, people. I want to tell you something. It's the bicentennial year, the 200th anniversary of this nation. It is time to celebrate who we are as a people, who we have been as a nation, and where we are going forward. And this senior class is going to lead the way. We are going to be lights out. In this bicentennial year, thank you, I appreciate your vote. It was a landslide. <laughs> and people say, you, you're good at talking in front of people. But I didn't really see a career in being good and talking in front of people. So I just got back on my other track. And God said, no, what they've been trying to tell you is that I wired you to talk in front of people. (laughs) And so even when I was terrible, so I'd go to preach maybe two, three years after that. I'd be at a little church, never more than 40 people. And I'd preach the best message that one of my mentors had preached. (laughs) doing my best imitation of them, which probably wasn't all that great. And then I'd go stand at the back at the end. And and every time, whether it was terrible, which it was half the time terrible, or it was okay, there would be two or three people, sometimes more, every time. And they would say, I mean, sincerely, um, you know, God is going to use you. God has put something in you. And I'm 19, 20 years old. I'm like, thank you. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There were 40 people here, and it was okay. But see, people typically see what God's about to do through you before you do. So if you're trying to convince the world that you're going to do something and everybody around you is going, okay, okay, all right, all right, all right. Don't count them all out as naysayers. That may be God trying to help redirect something in you. That doesn't mean that every now and then the people around you get it wrong. We've seen it happen time and time again. I'm going to write the next composition that's going to be as good as Brahms. And everybody's like, I can't wait to see that. And then you do it. And they're like, I knew you could do it. You are amazing. (laughs) Most of the time, the people around you are going to yes and amen the passion in you. So now you're locking in on this keeps me up at night and wakes me up in the morning. I'm good at this. In fact, I get better at it every time I do it. And people around me are saying, you're really good at that. You should consider that. And then the last question I would ask is, what are you willing to sacrifice for? Because that's going to help you know you're getting in the right lane of passion for your life. What are you willing to sacrifice for? Like, in other words, maybe you've got something going on right now and you're willing to put in 80%, maybe a couple days a month, 100% or in that crunch time, I jumped in there with everybody else. But as you're rolling into it most days, it's kind of like, I can kind of do this in my sleep and I sort of know what I'm doing and blah, blah, blah. But what is that thing that would make you go, I'm gonna put all the focus, all the energy, all the determination that I've got into this thing. I am willing to sweat. I am willing 
to bleed, I am willing to pay a price for that. And get on board with that. And I'll tell you why, because if our big purpose is applause to Jesus, he's not gonna get applause by people who are putting out about 80% in their passion lane. Nobody in the entertainment industry is gonna get on board with that. Nobody in the arts is gonna come around that. Nobody on Wall Street's gonna come around that. Nobody at the top who doesn't have a need for Jesus is gonna pay attention to a believer who says, I'm doing it all, all 81% of it for the glory of God. Do you know Jesus? They're gonna go, I don't wanna know a Jesus who causes someone to spend their one wild and precious life putting out 81% for something. I wanna know a Jesus who calls up in people a full throttle investment in this one shot called life. I wanna know somebody who is alive and who's putting everything they've got into the passion lane that they are in so that eventually an encore is gonna come to Jesus. And that's very tricky. We're gonna talk about that in a couple of weeks down the road. Because the biggest enemy to the purpose is uber success in the passion. Amen? So how do you become uber successful in the passion and never lose your edge on the purpose? But it all starts with being amazing. It starts with doing your best. It starts with saying, I found something I'm willing to sacrifice for because I want applause to come to Jesus and I want it to come through a life that showed the world what the best looks like. So then I could say, let me tell you about my best. <laughs> my best is the one who made me and I live my life for his glory. by today's talk and believe it would be uplifting to others, then be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you stream your podcasts. To experience other talks, videos, and live gatherings, visit us online at passioncitychurch.com or download the Passion Movement app. And again, thanks for listening to the Passion City Church podcast.